the same old tune, fiddle and guitar. Where do we take it from here? Rhinestone suits and new shiny cars. It's been the same way for years. We need to change. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, the premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America. Get a grip. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 91. On this episode, I have Dirk Mitchell of Mitchell Equipment. Mitch, uh, Dirk, what's up, bud? How you doing, Casey? Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me to be on your podcast. Appreciate that. It is a great honor, my friend. Um, yep. Let's just uh, let's just start at the beginning, man. Tell, talk to everybody about Dirk and who you are and how you ended up at this point in your life. Yeah. So, uh, so I've been back with the family dealership, I think it's 15 going on 16 years, but to back up a little further than that, my dad had started it basically from scratch back in 91. So we're going on, what is it, about 27 years now that he's been in business as a, as a Case IH dealer. Prior to that, our location there here in Atkinson uh, sat idle. It used to be an IH dealership where we were at, but that uh, that closed. They closed shop in the early '80s, I believe it was. So it, it sat idle nearly ten years when my when my dad started that. So and he just uh, you know we kind of pride ourselves on the humble beginnings there, but he basically just had an irrigation engine repair shop. Prior to that, kind of a one-man band, so to speak, and jumped into that deal. You know, he he jokes quite frequently how he doesn't know why KSH took him on. You know, he didn't really have anything when they started, so it was a fair amount of risk for him. But somehow he got enough capital put together to get that deal started. So he started the dealership there in 91, and uh, I think it was about 2001 or 2002. I don't. I tried to find this today just to have the, the right answer, but 2001, 2002, he, he merged with a group of three stores down kind of in the uh, south-central part of Nebraska. So starting right in that early 2000s, we were a part of a four-store complex. And then uh, we did that for about, it was roughly 10 years, because I know it was in 2012, them same three stores, that family decided to go a different direction. They sold sold off their three stores to the Titan Network, Titan Machinery. And uh, at that point, we decided to kind of go all in, you know, back to the single store, single location, family-owned deal. So we, <clears throat> my brother and I are are both back in the business. The only two of, only two siblings, and uh, we're both back in it. And along with the management team, we decided to give it a run on our own, despite you know kind of the trends that the obvious trends of the industry is the opposite of what of what we're doing. So. That was a little nerve-wracking, but man, it's—I think it's been a blessing. We're 
six years into it and you know i don't we sure don't have any regrets in our decision um you know things are things are going pretty good for us really all things considered so yep so starting 1991 i mean your your dad didn't really start in the, the best economic times in the world so he's been through what 91 late 90s early 2000s basically now so this is the third or fourth legitimate downturn that 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 your dealership has been through yeah i'd say that's correct you know and we owe a lot of the success you know i don't i don't know if we'd be where we were today or where we are today if we wouldn't have have got together with that complex that provided us a little little capital and a little flexibility that as we were trying to grow, I just don't think we, I just don't think we could have kept enough cash in the business to be able to grow like we did without them. So we sure don't regret that portion, but you know, it, it really accelerated our growth. And now we've got ourselves, what I think is a position where we can cases leaving us alone in terms of a lot of, a lot of expansion at this point, not saying that that won't change, but you know, I, we're doing enough volume that that's not on their forefront of their mind anyway. So I feel like we can sustain that. Not saying that's the answer for the next 20 years, but for today, that's the answer. And you know, what? we're going to stay with that course for right now. So, yeah. We've got roughly dealership size, you know, we're um, got right around 45 full-time employees. So it's a fairly, fairly good size yeah, dealership. It's a big dealership. So we, uh, and, and part of that's because, all right, we're very fortunate in the area that we live too. We're very diverse between row crop and we've got, cow calf operations, hay operations, get some, you know, beef cattle in terms of feed lots and that stuff. So we got, it seems like there's always kind of a glimmer somewhere to help propel us through. And, you know, currently there's not a lot of glimmers out there, but there's, you know, there's some stuff happening yet. So we, we're very fortunate to be as diverse as we are in this area. And it's, it's helped us, and row crops been down, you know, really sucking wind here for the last couple of years. We've had some other things help offset that. So we're very fortunate with where we're at in the marketplace. Yeah. You said it earlier. Where, where, what town are you in? Your dealership? We're in Atkinson. Atkinson. And where's that at in Nebraska? So um, if you go north of Grand Island, it's roughly about. 90 or 100 miles, you run into O'Neill, and then you jog back to the west about 20 miles. I gotcha. Okay. Yep. That is north central part of the state. Yeah. That is a very, I mean, that's one thing about diversity. You know, we have, we're fortunate to have the same, same level diversity where we're at, too. You know, we've got plenty of a little bit of everything. You know, we got hay, we got row crops, we got sugar beets, we got cattle, you know, so. Um, actually potatoes have really popped up here as a big, big player here out in our area last, mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, five, six, seven, yeah, years, something a, like that. It, yeah, it's a, it's a great thing. I, it would be a struggle. I think if you were only in that cash crop business right now, I, 
Yeah, if you're just straight up was, corn and beans, that'd I, be tough. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. So, you know, with that, our shops have been full. You know, I, I, I've heard through other peers, you know, and that I network with that maybe they're not as blessed with the same workload as we are. We've got a lot of, a lot of customer jobs to get pushed through. And, you know, in fact, it, I don't know that we're getting to them all as, you know, as quick as what guys are needing either. You know, we're, we're a little bit behind in some areas. So I, we're, we haven't had to start beating the trees, you know, in the bushes to get service work in the shop. I'm not saying that won't happen and, you know, it very well could, but, you know, currently that, that part of the business is, you know, I think we're, we're sitting pretty good at. So what's it like being a single store dealership amongst the, I mean, everyone you're surrounded by, whether it's Case, John Deere, whoever. Yeah, they're, I mean, you're, you're the only single store operation out there. I mean, if you take a look around all your your competition, yep. You're what's so? How's yeah, that? So how's that dynamic work in that in that sea of, of big fellows? Well, um, the the things that we enjoy is probably the speed at which we can make a change, the speed at we can change direction. Um, we're yeah, I always equate it back to rowing a boat versus a guy running a ship. You know, we can we can move around a little quicker than what what I think the large organizations can. Not that they don't have some some benefits that that we would like as well. But that the thing that makes it a little bit e- easier in terms of moving this equipment is just being able to we can react maybe a little bit quicker. You know, we got a handful of salesmen versus, you know, 20, 30 salesmen. We can shut that down and change, you know, our philosophy pretty quick. If we, if we see a bump in the road, you know, just like, you know, just like what's happening this year, I would have told you in May that we were off to the races and we were out of the cellar. And the end of June, I, I've got a completely different, different mindset than what I did in May. So we, you know, already in them 30 days, we were able to switch gears a little bit. It's maybe, it's probably a little harder for larger organizations. Yeah, that's a good point you made there. So, you know, we, we talked about, I mean, I've always, I've said many times on here that, I feel like the end of 18 is going to be a, a pretty bullish time comparatively to what we've seen over the past, you know, two or three years, especially. Um, we've talked about, yep. you know, having to buy stuff because not because they want to, but because they have to, because of hours and condition and that kind of stuff that guys are yep. kind of up against. But I will tell you this, that I'm not going to sit here and say that it's stopped and slowed down and, oh, my God, things are going to go crazy. But since about end of June, first part of July, um, you know, when the tariffs and stuff kind of hit, I I felt like the, there was a bit of a contraction in the marketplace. Did you see something similar? Yeah, I, you know, locally, I feel like it, it was, and this is a, an odd time of year for our dealership. Um, you guys deal with irrigation too. It just seems like the core of our guys, when they're out taking care of these crops, they're not, 
they're not wanting to make a lot of decisions until until they get a little more maturity and see what they got there in the crops. But it yeah. seems like this year, the, the end of June through through right now, it's I was not worried about youth combines, but I'm I'm not worried yet. But I can I can tell you I I've got my eye on that ball because you know I've been through that before and had that erode. And those those things sting when when you're wholesaling them, but uh, that's I I don't want to sound like it's doom and gloom, but it sure it sure changed, you know, from the end of May, first part of June to today. It just uh, there's not a lot of optimism there. I think most guys believe that it's we're going to get these commodity prices trading back where we were. Um, but until they see a little glimmer of that, it's it's pretty tough for them to make too many decisions. It looks to me like. But. Yeah, I haven't seen my my ticker hasn't gone off yet here for how how the markets opened up. You know, here it's Sunday and how they opened up you know, going in the overnight. But I'm right there with you, man. On the combine thing, I'm not saying holy crap, guys, we need to start looking how we're going to sell these things and we need to start looking at some exit strategies at all. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is my concern for used combines, I mean, there's two things. One is commodity prices, obviously. You know, that's that's always a driving factor in that. But Mm -hmm. the natural flow of, you know, the natural flow of of combines from north to south. You know what I mean? We don't see that. Like we saw in the last couple of years, this year, and that's all has to do with the with the drought that they've had down there and the wheat that they've had. But normally, there is a significant number of used combines that make their way from the northern part of the U.S. to the southern part of the U.S., whether it's for wheat or corn or whatever you know they're doing, sure. or beans or whatever. But I just didn't see that this year. Did you? Did you see something similar to that? Too? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we don't we don't send a lot that direction we get it seems like we get to a point on some higher hour ones but that's what scares me is we kind of went out and got got after some pre-sales and locked us into some late model stuff and 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 it was really based on the fact just like you said that these guys they don't want to buy combines but they also do not want to spend Twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars in repairs, especially the guys that got them financed. And they don't want to be spending that much on these big ticket repairs plus a payment. So they, yeah. so I went after. We went after them as a dealership. You know, got some late model ones in, and I tell you that I think we're okay yet, but I'm fearful if we don't move them by the beginning of harvest that I'll be. Uh, I'd be trying to come up with a pretty significant strategy there, but yeah. I, I think we're all right. Yeah. Just because of the amount of use of where, you know, that we've had a lot of guys hold on to them longer than what they're accustomed to. So I still think they're going to come around, but they sure, sure aren't wanting to talk about it today anyway. Yeah. So on that, on that point, what do you feel your buyers? Are they more, what are they reacting more to, the volatility in the market or just commodity prices? I mean, which one do you think they're more worried about? Oh, at the current, you know, last last 30 days, they're 
they're they're reacting to this tariff deal and you know prior to that prior to that I had several meetings that you know I they they were hedging and locking in I I would say a lot of them locked a a decent portion in for a little bit of margin there early on you know after the first of the year it seemed like it seemed like them guys were were pretty optimistic. I had talked to some bankers and they were feeling feeling optimistic. It was no home run, but they what they were seeing as far as prices and you know, on the overall economy they were feeling better. I, it looked like maybe some guys had a they loosened up the leash a little bit, you know, in terms of some purchases or at least we were talking about them, but that uh, that tariff deal really really tipped things over. Yeah. It seemed like for us anyway. It, it's it's like um. Well, I mean, I, this the barometer is kind of tough to read. You know, the auction market is is one of those. I pay attention to it because one, you got to know where your punch out is and what that looks like, right? You got to know what your risk is, and then yep. two two is that's that's a direct reflection of of the buying appetite that you see out there. You know, if you're watching stuff sell and it's bringing like some ridiculous number, one of two things, either not enough people are interested in it or it's a pile of crap. One, <clears throat> one of two things. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, I don't know. Sullivan's had an auction. I don't know what it was a couple of days after that first round of terrorists went through and the Chinese reality, rea- uh, reality, reta- God dang, I can't talk. Retaliated. There we go. Retaliated. Um, with that first round of, of tariffs on, on soybeans and that dropped, you know, I think he lost almost 70 cents on the week or something like that. And about three days later they had that auction. And I now granted the stuff that was there that went cheap, it went cheap for a reason. Cause it was, it was rough, you know, but I don't know that it yep. went, that might've been part of it, but I think the, Oh man, this stuff really is going to happen happened and they kind of drew back a little bit and you know i've seen stuff pick up since then but it's not been like it was before that yep well i think the fortunate part that we've all got is you know i don't study a lot of other dealers lots but i feel by and large we're all healthier than what we were so you know even if we do draw back the thing that so say we do hang on to half of our late model used combines and, you know, that forces us obviously to do less new in the next year, but it isn't going to be like what we had, you know, at the first, the first downturn, you know, coming off of whatever year that was, 2011, 2012, when there was, you couldn't swing a dead cat without finding a two to 300 hour combine you know and everyone was slashing prices to get rid of them so to me that's the one bright spot you know if we do have a little hiccup here if you know if ever i feel like maybe we got a little too aggressive too quick but you know that hindsight's always always perfect so that's the bright side that i see is there's just not going to be well, there's going to be hardly any late model stuff out there. I think you know, I we see it on our end. We've got guys, 
running tractors way longer than what they have been. And, you know, even you got a guy that wants a four or $500 tractor right now, you know, and, and my channels, anybody that I could go sell a new one, they're, they're way past that at this point. So there's, there's going to be some demand in them units when we do kick this thing back around. And hopefully that still comes this fall yet, kind of as we were anticipating. Yeah. And we got some, <laughs> we got some hurdles right now. Yeah, no, I think I'm, I'm right there with you. I think this fall, I, I am still bullish about the end of the year. I still think there's going to be plenty of opportunity for dealerships to to make some make some things happen. What I'm finding though is because of how long guys have decided to run their equipment comparatively is, you know, it doesn't really matter if it's a good time or a bad time. The economy, economically in this business, there's always a hole somewhere in your inventory that you can't fix, right? So yep. when times were good, we were just we were just flush with, you know, one year old, two year old, you know, five hundred hour combines, two hundred and fifty hour combines, you know, five hundred hour row crop tractors, stuff like that. And but we didn't have anything mm-hmm. else, you know what I mean, to get to the yep. next to the next level. Well now we've got it's flipped, you know, we've got all the 1500 hour plus stuff but we don't yep. have any of the other end of the stuff and that's what i find that's what i'm seeing that's hard right now is we got buyers that are looking for that 750 hour combine or a 500 hour combine or a uh you know a, a five or six hundred hour row crop tractor and not that we don't have them we just don't have enough of them and that's that's where we're trying yep. to get that going and, and it does feel like pricing is increasing you know just because of supply and demand, you know what I mean? As supply goes down, demand yep. in, or as demand goes up and supply goes down, then the price goes up. You know, economic 101, it's a simple fact. So trying to keep ahead of all that stuff, you seeing something similar where you're at? I mean, and how are you combating that? Yeah, so we haven't run into that a great deal yet, but it, I think it's going to happen. Um, the one thing that, the only thing that I would add that scares me a little bit um some of these guys have been out of the game buying equipment for long enough. You sit down and you start pricing a new combine, new tractor, you know, a new combine. That's easy to get four hundred fifty to five hundred thousand anymore. Oh yeah. You know, on a class eight. So there is very few guys interested in listening to that at this point mm-hmm. that I've been around, and that's that's been a that's been a hurdle for us is just, I just can't hardly believe, you know, having not been in, you know, getting priced on different stuff like that for two, three, four years, how much that stuff's went up. And it's part of that. They feel like they're behind the eight ball already before you can get started in the conversation. So that doesn't help either. But I do think, just as soon as this turns around, we're going to have a hole in that. We already do to some extent. There's just we're not getting a lot of pressure on it yet. We're having conversation with guys, maybe on some white model stuff, but they're not. You know, they're not going to drive elsewhere and do a deal. They're not in that big of a need at this point, but it's something they're thinking of. So I, I, we're sitting okay yet, but it's. I think it's coming. We're where we're going to have some gaps in our inventory, like you say. As right now, I'll tell you, one of the gaps that I got is we cleaned up on 
youth point, and I never thought I'd say this in my life after the last 10 years, but we cleaned up on youth planners and, uh, you know, I've got some calls. We've got some calls on some later model planners that, you know, currently I, I, I'm going to have to go out and buy some if we're going to do some deals there, which is not been the case historically here. It seems like we've always got an aged big red check mark by planners for some reason. And that we finally got over that hump and out of the cellar there. So it's nice to, nice to not have them problems staring you in the face, but at the same time, we're probably going to have to get something, you know, on that, in that arena. Yeah, the plaintiff thing, it's, you know, when was that, 14, 15, yeah, 14, 15, those, that was like the worst possible year to have a used planner, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You <laughs> we picked, were clutch with them. <laughs> everybody was, it didn't matter where you're at, I mean, we yeah. have, I mean, you'd go up and down the interstate and you go across some, a dealer and they, they would have a windrow of, of planners. Like stacked up there, and they were all like high dollar like stuff, you know. Or, you know, they all had yep. every possible thing you could put on them at the time, you know, and not precision stuff, but not like that. But I'm talking like all the fancy this, that, and the other things you could put on there, and the high dollar, you know, row cleaner, whatever, you know, you had just whatever they could find to put on there. <clears throat> and we're starting to see those come back now, and it's it's to the point where you know somebody bought one at a at an auction in 2014 and it was a hundred thousand dollar planner and someone bought it for fifty sixty thousand bucks sometimes even forty thousand bucks you know and yep. now they're coming back in here and we're looking at them and, and i mean realistically i'm i kind of see the value of them at the, pretty much where they bought them at you know yeah and yeah but they've got twenty thousand acres on them now they don't have you know, they bought them with five or six thousand acres on them, and they ran them for four or five years right. with however many three to five thousand acres a year put on there. So, I mean, yeah, you're looking at something that's got fifteen thousand to twenty thousand acres on it, and what it's worth. So, I mean, to back to your point on on the planters, I'm right there with you. There's a huge gap in planters. The yep. the fifteen model, sixteen model, seventeen model planters. You didn't sell enough new ones to to really satisfy the appetite we see now for planner planner upgrades. So it's it's uh right. It's crazy. It's it's uh. How's the how's your business split between? I, I want I'd call it the conventional way where we had our, you know, they were obviously bulk fill, you know, our our bread and butters bulk fill twenty four row. So now. Now you've got this electric drive, hydraulic downforce, you know, similar on your end. How many, what's, what's your split on new sales? Is it 50% between, between, you know, basically what we had before they're replacing the, yeah. you know, air down pressure, cable drive, bulk fill planter with the same thing, or are they, are you seeing more of a push to get to that, you know, that technology crave? Oh, I think for on our side, it's probably, I mean, we got the go fast planner with the electric drives or we got the same speed planner with electric drives. You know what I mean? 
So it's yep. The I think the electric drive technology, whether you're doing a precision thing or whether you're doing a factory option, whatever that is, um, I think more and more guys are going to that because they're seeing the. It depends on who you have. I mean, some guys just do it for the sake of doing it. You know what I mean? And some guys do mm-hmm. it because they actually see the agronomic benefit of doing it. And when you when you look at the the down pressure and the electric drive, I mean, basically, if you have a twenty four row planter, at that point, you've got twenty four individually rows individual rows reacting to whatever situation they're in at that time, right? So you're yeah. you're planting that seed at the exact same depth, regardless if it's you know super compacted ground or if it's just loose loamy soil it doesn't matter i mean it's just it's really just making that decision for you where you do what you're doing and test pots we've done with that stuff have made have shown a difference in emergence and shown a difference in um singulation and and that kind of stuff um not necessarily you know produced any more bushels per acre by any means but um They've done it with less seed. You know what I mean? Yep. So absolutely. That's where yep. the, that's kind of where the big thing is. It's it's what you're saving versus what you're what you're putting down. I th- I think the planter marketplace is it's just like anything else, any other thing that you've done any in any other time of the year. The two most important things on your farm are a planter and and then how you get whatever crop you planted off. You know what I mean? And yep. You know, guys are going to continue to spend money on planters. They're going to spend money on on combines. My fear with the aftermarket stuff, like precision and those kind of things, is how's that going to, what's it worth when it comes back in used? You know, you got to drop 80 grand, 90 grand, 100 grand, something like that on a full bore precision system on a $50,000 planter. Now you think you got yourself a $150,000 planter. It. My thing with planters is that they're all they're a fingerprint. They're not all the same. And what I want, what yep. you want, might be eighty five percent right close to each other. It's that fifteen percent is so dynamically far apart that my I don't want your planter. You know what I mean? And that's yeah, we 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 see the same thing as I would say by and large we don't ever get eighty five percent of them. You know that guys want the same thing. It's it's about half of that. I think it's just yeah. man, that's a struggle. You, whether it's row cleaners, closing systems, and then and that was before. Now, like you said, you're throwing all that precision stuff in there. Yep. Some guys it might be worth something. You know, the next guy, it's probably not, and that is going to be a that's going to be a struggle. And that's what you know, and the reason that they're trading is because they want to freshen up that, you know, the meter or the downforce or what have you. Right. So, you know, they're not interested in, you know, the customer that is not interested in keeping that stuff. Otherwise, you know, you just keep the whole toolbar and everything keep yeah. running it. But that's, yeah. that is going to be, that is going to be different for a lot of them customers explaining that you're not going to get the, you know, the payback, so to speak, on them items that maybe you have and the the other precision farming technologies, displays and receivers and all that stuff, you know, maybe. 
you probably paid yourself back on every auto steer system, you know, the customer that is on every auto steer system in a couple of years that you bought. Plus, it was still worth something, you know. You may not be able to have that same luxury to look at it that way now. Yeah, that's one thing, too, about, like you said, uh, the guidance systems and stuff like that that you have on these machines now is when I look at them, to me, they're worth less sitting on a shelf than they are in the tractor. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when, yeah. I, when I'm looking at it and the guy comes in and says, you know, I want to trade in my EMS stuff, you know, I'm like, just leave it in your tractor, man. Just get all brand new stuff. Yep. Because it's, it's a turnkey thing. Whoever, whoever wants to get that, if they show up and they got a tractor sitting out here in the lot and it's a turnkey deal, all you have to do is buy the activations. And in some cases, the activations are still on them. You know what I mean? It's yep. it's perfect. They go, yeah, that's what I'll take it because it's got that this side of the other thing on it. The planter side of it is we have a pretty basic fertilizer set up out here um, across our territory. Now, it might be, you know, in furrow or two by two or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that they're doing. Yep. Now, there might be just a little bit of a tweak there that they can do. But that's just that's just repositioning the tube. You know what I mean? It's not a big deal. Um, yeah. It's the, you know. It's the closing wheel or the 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 uh, clean the trash whippers and stuff like that, openers and those kind of things that all that that they want. This guy wants grass. This guy wants, you know, sun. This yep. guy wants what you know. Just there's that's where we see the biggest difference. At it's not necessarily the fertilizer system. That's pretty simple to get past that. It's the other yep. gimmicks that they put on there that they think because this one's got this one over here and this one floats and this one does that and the other thing. It's, it's, there's a big difference in the way it's set up and that's that's the hard part about planners is that it's just they're that they're that precise and now anymore and in in what they read some college somewhere said that our test plots we use this and we got this result you know and you guys go god damn i'm gonna do that exact same thing i need that set up or i can't buy your planner you know what i mean and that's that's where that's where i yep. think we have <clears throat> a pretty rough ride ahead of us in in uh in the planners because of the specialization. Yeah. Yeah, and that stuff isn't cheap either, you know. No, it's it, ridiculously expensive for what you it figure is. a twenty four row, you know, probably the cheapest row cleaner, which is you know, nobody's gonna want anyway, but that's you're talking twelve grand probably. Yeah. You know it, so to reconfigure, you know, you got to take all that into equation. First, you got to not give anything for the row cleaners that are on it, but then you got to figure in the amount of time that it takes to tear all that stuff off, throw it away, and put all the new on plus the new price for the next guy. And it, mm-hmm. it all adds up. That is that is going to be a struggle, but it's that's I tell you, with that though, we had kind of a specialized setup of fertilizer openers that we use in our area. Mm-hmm. And we, historically, we just could not get rid of planters. We'd have this goofy looking fertilizer opener set up on basically every trade-in that we got. So finally, two years ago, I said, this is ridiculous that we cannot ship these planters anywhere outside of Holt County. You know, we've got to figure out something. So, unfortunately it was after I had already paid way too much money for these planters that had these goofy attachments, but I finally threw all that stuff in the iron and threw some row cleaners that were kind of similar to the rest of the industry. You know, maybe not perfect, but 
just immediately after getting that taken care of, we started getting calls and, and we're able to, to move some things around. So that's, it just plays right into what you say and what you said about some of them attachments. You got to be real careful what's on there. And if it don't fit in the industry, you know, that 75, 85%, you know, you're better off tearing it off right away before you market it and get that thing fixed is what I've found. Yep. And we all know how profitable it is to take the, take the road cleaners off and put them on a pallet out back because they always stay there they never go anywhere right and they're all there when you need them the next time right yeah yeah all all 20 21 and a half of them yeah. when you remove 24 they're all there yeah they're always there 17 years later after you need them <laughs> <laughs> all right let's jump into one more topic here and then we'll we'll close it down so we talk a lot on here kind of where we see the future of ag going. So as you watch across the uh, landscape, what are some of the trends you see developing and, and how do you see um, not only just, not necessarily the, the uh, you know, the, the farmer, but how do you look at, you know, how your dealership is, is set, you know, how's your dealership getting ready for automation and, and where do you see that kind of going? Yeah, so you know, from the the equipment side, that's that's a little scary thought there. It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. I feel like, from a personnel standpoint, we've we've really worked hard at at and as a lot of progressive dealerships, this is not specific to just Mitchell Equipment, but you know, a lot of the dealerships are gearing up into that AMS or AFS, you know, and I think as long as we continue to train them guys on the, and that's where, that's where the bread and butter's at is we got to have them guys smart enough to be able to do all this stuff. And then we got to figure out how to charge, you know, to, to get that as a profit center is where I think some of the hurdles are in the future, you know, just specific to that. Yes. Um, (laughs) I, you know, that's, it's not going to, it's not going to work. Um, it's not going to work in my mind to have that as part of, Oh, you know, we've done business with customer a for 25 years. You know, he's bought all this stuff. We're just going to go out there with our, you know, precision team and take care of it as a cost of sale, you know, and not that isn't going to work going forward we you know we're gonna have to i hate to say it but i think we're gonna have to start charging for phone calls and i really i really hope that's past my tenure but i'm afraid it's not gonna be i think i think it's gonna have to happen here pretty soon you know in terms of the total dealership profitability the you know that the amount of technology is just like we talked on the planners. We're going to see it on the combines and the tractors. I don't know where that leads us. That that tractor market, you start you start talking. Well, new four wheel drive. I was just looking at that the other day. New four wheel drive at you know half a million. You know, guys, we're used to buying two of them for that not too long ago and so that's going to change 
a little bit of the landscape in my mind. But the, and a lot of that's just due to the the amount of technology too. It's it's not that we can't be more product productive with that unit or you know, in some cases you can even probably see a you know, a return, you know, just based on productivity, but just bankrolling that stuff it's that's gonna weed some guys out or it's it's gonna change the landscape. I've I've not ever watched that construction industry, but you know, you wonder if you're not gonna see some of these tractors just have to if they do go to a new buyer that they aren't going to stay there a lot longer than what we're used to to get them priced down to a point where the next guy can afford them. I I don't know. That that scares me a little bit going forward, but I guess we'll just, you know, we've figured it out every year up until this point. So (laughs) we'll have to adapt or die, I guess, is what it's going to take there. Right. Now I'm worried about if the next guy is going to be there and what that looks like. Yeah, exactly. That's my biggest fear. Is it's not so much are we going to be able to go out and sell equipment because yes we're going to be able to sell equipment it's yeah what does the you know as these guys get bigger and bigger and bigger you know some of our biggest customers add a machine or two to eat on all sides of their business you know they might add another combine and another four wheel drive tractor or a row crop tractor or something and they might add another planter all of a sudden and so now they're over the last couple of years, they've grown their fleet by three or four extra machines. Some years that's mm-hmm. good. Some years, like holy crap, what are we gonna do with all this used stuff? You know? <laughs> exactly. You know? Yep. So it's it's just tough, kind of trying to judge that. You know, you think Finn and I have that bet about who's gonna have to buy lunch when we evaluate our first autonomous tractor? And yeah, I think I listened to that one. <laughs> I still feel. I don't know as much as I like Fennel. I think I think you're probably going to win that. Do you hear that, Fennel? I'm right, dude, and you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he'll probably want to be. He'll probably be looking for another position when it comes to that. I think he's a little more old school than you are, though, in terms of his equipment wants and needs. Yeah, he's he's uh he's the only 39 year old guy I know that's still stuck in the late the late seventies, early eighties when it comes to machinery. <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that, but he's Nope. He's, those are those are years. Then. Yeah, things work a lot better. Yep. Levers and switches were a lot lot easier. Weren't you know, they chase as much electrical stuff when, when Exactly, was, yeah. Pretty little little easier to fix. But now if you look at the productivity level now, it's so much higher than it was, but it is what it is. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. That, that second, that second tier buyer, or you know what I what I wonder is, you know, maybe we still have a second tier, but outside of that, and we've seen that dynamic change a couple times since I've been involved, where mm-hmm. you kind of have layers of buyers. You know, and and to our demise or not demise, but we we pushed. You know, in them really good years, we let I shouldn't say let we you know coaxed or conceded or however you want to look at it into getting some of them guys that were primarily used buyers. You know, they were flush with money too. We broke up them trade cycles, and you know, and I honestly believe we're still 
you know, on, at least at my location, I'm still paying for those sins because oh, yeah. Yeah. we, you know, if they would have taken a used tractor back then instead of jumping up an extra 2,000 hours, I'd have somebody that is looking today at some of these 1,000 to 2,000-hour tractors. That was that guy. Now he's sitting. He's got a tractor that he bought new, knows everything about, you know, why I traded at four or five thousand hours for something I don't know about? Well, too, I'll just run this thing out a little bit longer. And that's, I think, going forward, we probably won't make that mistake again, um, or at least, at least try not to. Try to incent them guys that were used buyers to keep them in the used. However, you got to close that deal up. I think that was, I think if. I think if we'd have done a better job there, kind of knowing what was going to happen, that sure would have set us up for a little more success right now, I think. Well, yeah, those guys all went back to their their regular trade cycles. You know, they bought something new. And like, yep. My normal trade cycle when I bought something used was I'd buy a one- or two-year-old something and run it for three years and then trade it off. Well, he says, well, I bought it brand new, so I'll just run it for five years now instead of three. Yep. And go from there so yeah it's you know what you're damned if you do and damned if you don't you know what i mean (laughs) there's no real win you don't ever really win you know what i mean like it feels good for a second and then you realize like holy shit how's the dude in the backside here now you know there's there's always something that that creeps about the time you have something figured out everything you thought you had to figure out comes unraveling around you and you gotta put it all back together again try to figure out how to get through it but that's why it's fun, I guess. It's not boring. There's no, there's never the same day twice. I can tell you that. No, that is exactly that is exactly right. Problems, problems are constantly changing. That's yeah. Just case in point, I told you my my biggest fear over the next twelve months is is harvest, or at least the next six probably. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I feel like we're kind of in the frying pan on some of these some of these higher dollar 140 to, you know, basically 200 to 200 horsepower MFD tractors. Yeah. You know, I've not, historically, I can't think of a time we've ever had to flush them by auction. I've done it with a number of other things, but yeah. those things, I've, I've contemplated that a couple of times. I slap myself because I can't imagine that we can't go find a deal for them, but as it sits, we're, we're struggling right now. But, you know, I think we get some things straightened out commodity-wise. There's there's a bunch of tractors out there with some age that I, I do think we can go after, but mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not progressing right now. Yeah. Well, any time that you start looking at equipment and it's used and it's, you know, 350000 $390,000 piece of used equipment, that, that it does get scary because then you start, guys, whoever can buy that yep. piece, more than likely, with some creative financing and everything else that you can do, you can probably get them a new one. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so it's Yeah, just, they can. It's crazy. It's just hard to think about, oh, here's a $400,000 used piece or a $350,000 used piece and we're $100,000 more, you get a new one. Like, oh, that's, that's a lot of money, but it is a lot of money, but it's only 15% or 20% of, of what the new one is. Yep. It's not a big number anymore. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's that's probably the biggest scare for me is just you know the as we separate who can bankroll that stuff here going forward. That's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. Since I don't know, uh, I don't know if anyone has ever seen a a price decrease come out, but I never have. So I'm assuming that's probably not happening anytime in the near future. You know, we, we just saw, uh, I wouldn't say a significant one for 19, but it's, it all adds up in my mind. It's, you know, it's probably double of what the normal price increase, you know, from 17 to 18 or every year before that, other than the glory days when there was a new price sheet every 25 days, it seemed like. Yeah. Yeah. Now we, same thing here. We, we saw a price increase that was, you know, wasn't I wouldn't say egregious by any means, but it was. I mean, it's just a shock when you start looking at a machine and it's you know tens of thousand dollars higher than it was the time before. It's <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean, and it's only yeah. gone up two or three percent. Like, holy crap, man! You know, but yeah, that, that is what it is. That's just the nature of the beast. And that these manufacturers, every one of them, will tell you that. Well, the the used price follows the new price, right? And as it goes up, so is use value. And I haven't seen that happen in the last three years. I'm not going to say it hasn't, yeah, it hasn't gone up a little bit because it has, you know, but it hasn't been anything close to what the price increases have been. Yeah, I've, that's I tell you, I've been hanging my hat on that sales pitch on used tractors right now, and it still ain't worked. Because <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah. they are, you know you can have that conversation with a guy. Would you, I got this tractor with 1200 hours. Here's, here's the price of a new one. Here's this one. Would just take the difference in them two numbers. Assuming I did it for nothing. Would you have done that deal? No. The answer is no. Well, then this is a pretty decent value on this used one. Yeah. I'm going to have to come up with a different line apparently because that ain't worked yet. Yeah. Well, it's just, and that's the other thing, too, is when you're looking at how you're going to trade that stuff in the, in the market the way it is, you have to be far enough back from a new one that has, the guy has to well, was interested in getting in that one. You know what I mean? So yep. if you're going to be at, at X, how far do you have to be back to make the guy over here want to buy at Y? You know? And right. That's, and then all of a sudden now what's that price difference looks like or what does that trade difference look like? And That's nothing we haven't fought. I mean, it's the same fight we fight all the time. You know what I mean? It's just, sure. It's yep. just now it's just harder than it was when. Yeah. Now, now when it just the level of risk that you're at, you know, when when you miss on these, it it's not ten percent anymore that you can be off. You know, when that market fluctuates or yeah, you know, and and ten and twenty percent of the numbers that we're buying this stuff at is that's fairly significant. You gotta which is why they got guys like yourself, you know, that's probably the, the, you know, going back to what you asked right at the beginning, that's one of the disadvantages I feel is a, I can react a little quicker, but I maybe don't have the insight over as many locations or data points as you do. 
I would say that I don't know if that helps or hurts, but some days I feel like it's uh, I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage there. But. Well, part of it too is I mean we're we're in a all of our like I mean my crystal ball quit working a long time ago. I don't know about yours, so I don't I don't really see the future <laughs> like I used to, you know. But yeah, we're we're in a rearview business, a rearview mirror business. When it starts looking at values and data points, I mean everything we're looking at is this is what you know we happened last year, and this is what we did, you know, based in similar yep. situations, so on and so forth. And then we sit back and we go, okay, so I am right, I think, but I won't know for sure for the next nine or to twelve months. So, right, yeah, we'll absolutely. So. And but we'll start seeing that picture start getting painted. At about six months, and you're like, "Oh man, these things are gonna be a little long." <laughs> and then, yep. then you're going like, "Well, no, I think we're gonna be all right." And then you know, but you don't know until the guy comes in and says, "I'll take that one," and I'll, you know, right. what that looks like. So it's a little more scientific than the way I laid it out. But I mean, and that's pretty much it. You know what I mean? That's what makes this roller coaster so fun, though. Oh yeah, yep. Sometimes though, you stall out in the loop. And you gotta hang upside down for a little while before you <laughs> before they come let you back down. <laughs> yep. All right, Dirk. Well, I think we knocked this one in the head, man. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, appreciate that, Casey. Uh, anytime. Uh, anytime. I don't have a lot of uh, a lot of insight, but I enjoy listening to what you do. It's uh, it, it's always interesting, no matter who you're talking to. The different markets, different views, different opinions. It kind of helps a guy keep his compass straight in my mind. Yeah. It's, uh, it takes the uh, proverbial village to, uh, make it all work. Cause I need, to That's know what, correct. I need to know what you're seeing. So I know what I'm seeing. So it's, uh, yep. makes it a fun trip. So, well, Dirk, if guys want to reach out to you and get in touch with you, how would they do that? Yeah. So I, I think uh, I'm on Twitter a little bit on Facebook. I think it's just at Dirk Mitchell on Twitter. I should have wrote that down beforehand, but you should be able to search me on Facebook and find it too. Otherwise, that my is... cell phone's 402-340-0232 and shoot me a text, give me a call. There's everything anybody needs. So, yeah. And you're right. Your Your Twitter handle is at Dirk Mitchell. So you're good. You're good on that. There we one. go. You're good to go there. Yep. <laughs> good deal, man. Well, you can find me at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com if you want to send me an email. Or you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Uh, you can also check out my website, movingironllc.com. Get some more information on the Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas and past current episodes of the Moving Iron Podcast. I've got a blog on there, but. I'm kind of at the point now where I don't really like writing stuff anymore, so I don't know how long that blog will be back up there. So better rush out there and get your first edition copy as fast as you can because it might go away forever. Um, yeah, also, if you want to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. In the 21st century, hard working people.
see 